0: Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at RUFBerkeley.com or find us on Instagram at RUFBerkeley. So uh, tonight I want us to ask um, a very basic but essential question and that question is this what what does following Jesus actually look like? And this is a question for both people that consider themselves Christian and those who don't consider themselves Christian. Maybe you're even exploring the faith, whatever it may be. what does it actually look like to follow Jesus? Um, some might say that following Jesus looks like never missing church or always being nice, or being a moral person, or reading your Bible every day, or never having any fun, or wearing clothes that are too tight, or being the best person that you can be. There's a lot of rules that people make up about what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus, but in our passage tonight, we have a very different picture of what it means to follow Jesus. It's a very different picture. You know, every night uh, when I put uh, my, my big boys to bed, we now have three. For those of you who don't know, if I know me or know that I have children, I have three boys, Gabe, five, Bo, three, and Griffy, who's about two months old now. And uh, for as long as they've been alive, whenever I put the big boys down for bed, we, we read a few books. And then when we're done, we always pray together. And I ask them, Gabe and Bo, what do you want to pray for? I'm trying to teach them that like, you can pray. What do you want to pray for? And sometimes they say something that's like really sweet, like, I want to pray for for Mommy, or I want to pray for our friends, Rosie and Lucy, or I want to pray for our neighbors, or, you know, someone in need, uh, like their grandparents back home. Uh, Sometimes they say stuff sweet like that, but oftentimes, more often than not, they say things like, let's pray for the Mandalorian. Let's pray (laughs) for Peter Pan. Let's pray for... Legos. And uh this may surprise you, I always get excited when they say stuff like that. I always say, "Yes, all right, let's pray for that." Because what I'm doing in that moment, just as an aside, is I'm modeling for them that we can give thanks to God for all of life and all of good creation. So when we think about the Mandalorian, we pray like, "Lord Jesus, we thank you that even in these works of art, you bring us so much joy. Even through tiny Legos, you bring these little ones so much joy to build and construct." in your world and we thank you for that but i always end my prayers with this i say and lord above all we thank you for jesus and we ask that you would help us to rest and receive and trust in him alone for everything that we need in this life and the life to come to rest and receive and to trust I pray that prayer with my little boys because that's what following Jesus actually looks like: resting, and receiving, and trusting. And that, not not being a good person, you know, not not uh, saying all the right words or showing up to church every week, whatever. That resting, receiving, and trusting—that is the posture that we have given to us here in the passage that we just read tonight in John. Chapter 6. Following Jesus means resting and receiving and trusting in Him alone for all of life. Okay, and that just so happens to be our three points for this evening. So let's start with the first. Let's start with resting. Okay, resting. What does it look like to follow Jesus? The first thing is resting. So I say that this passage is about following Jesus. Let me just point that out to you really quickly. Uh, Jesus has been performing. Uh, many miracles thus far throughout the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 6. We haven't hit on all of them, but he's, he's performed many miracles. He's turned water into wine. We hit on that. Last week, Christian brought the heat talking about the Samaritan woman at the well. It was fantastic. Thank you, Christian, for that. And Jesus tells everything about this woman to her that only she would know. And he's healed people already thus far in the Gospel of John. There's all these miracles that he's performing. And because of this, Because of this, tons of people are starting to follow him. If you look at verse 2, it says just that. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So Jesus, this is a passage about following Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And Jesus seizes the opportunity to demonstrate what following him actually looks like. Okay, so now we're on resting. You'll, You'll notice that a problem arises with these followers, with these people following him. Um, here's the problem. They're, there's a bunch of people there, and they're hungry, and they don't have any food. And Jesus uses this problem to teach his followers that following Jesus first means resting in Jesus. And notice this. He's teaching both what you may call insiders and outsiders, or folks that are close to Jesus and folks folk, folks that are kind of on the outskirts, right? His disciples are there, the 12 disciples, and he's talking to them, actually. But then there's all these other people that are kind of all over the spectrum of faith. And Jesus is teaching everybody this in this same moment. So this is a lesson both for those who are well into a life of following Jesus and those of you that are considering following Jesus. Jesus seizes this opportunity, this problem, to teach his followers that following him means resting in him. So the first thing that Jesus does to get this point across is he tests his disciples. He he, he tests the the insider in particular here. He says to Philip uh, in verse 5, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He's testing, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, I want you to think about this. Okay. Okay. Philip is one of his disciples. He goes everywhere with Jesus. And that means that Philip has seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things. We mentioned them earlier. He's seen water into wine. He's seen people healed. He's at least heard about this Samaritan woman at the well. The list goes on and on. And you would think that Philip would say the moment that Jesus asked him that question, where are we going to get bread? You would think that Philip would just say, Jesus, you got this. This is yours. I've seen you do some crazy things This really should be no problem for you. You got this. This is nothing. But that's not what Philip says, is it? Philip says, and I'm paraphrasing here, Philip says, Jesus, thousands of dollars worth of bread wouldn't be enough for these folks to get even a nibble. Thousands of dollars worth of bread wouldn't be enough. Now, as I said, this is a test that Jesus is giving Philip. But I actually think there's some good news here. One thing that I really just want to point out that is really good news for folks like me, and it's this, that following Jesus, as Philip is showing us, following Jesus doesn't feel like being super confident all the time. Following Jesus, uh, in fact, looks like, like Philip himself, it looks like we often forget the faithful work that God had just done in our lives recently followers of jesus are doubters followers of jesus are anxious followers of jesus can be uncertain of who jesus is i'm not talking about just random general anxiety right jesus is standing in front of him asking him this question and even to jesus himself he's just like man we there's we're up a creek without a paddle Following Jesus is hard. But here's the thing. Right, Jesus knows this, and, and, and this is interesting. That's why he's testing Philip. You know, I say the word testing, and some of you think like, ah, here we go. You know, when if you if you begin to follow Jesus or follow God, it's really just one big test on can you behave well enough to stay in God's good graces? But that's not the test that Jesus is giving to Philip here. Notice that the test is not. Philip, what are you going to do about it? Philip, what are you going to do about all of these people that need all of these things? And what if they don't get these things? What are you going to do, Philip? Jesus is not testing him that way. Jesus is not teaching us here that following him starts with working for him. Jesus is teaching us that following him starts with resting in him. And the test is this. This is the test that he's given Philip. Will you try to take this problem into your own hands? Or will you rest in Jesus knowing that no problem is beyond his ability? That's the test. Will you try to take your circumstances, this problem, your hunger, and will you fill it yourself? will you fix the problem yourself or will you rest in Jesus knowing that no problem is beyond his ability so the story goes on right and a few disciples come up and basically they're all sharing their anxiety with Jesus over the lack of food that they have there for all of these people their their inability to fix this problem and it's in it's right here i want you to notice this like here's this test and it's right here all you know his disciples are like what is going on you know we don't have enough money this guy over here has only got a few pieces of bread and a couple of fish and this is when jesus gives his first command this is right when jesus gives his first command and you might think that jesus may say like gosh you guys are useless you you've been educated at berkeley you can't do better than that optimization is like your thing, you know? Like, optimize some bread truck thingy, you know? Like, so everybody has bread. It's William Webster here has one laugh. He was making fun of me that I don't get laughs in my sermons, but Christian got b- a bunch of laughs. laughs. Christian's a funny guy. Um, so this is Jesus' first command, okay? Listen to this. Verse 10, his first command, have the people sit down sit down. That is the first thing that he tells them to do. Have the people sit down. There's another really important piece of information there that we're going to look at a little bit later. An interesting note that John has where he, right after that in verse 10 where he says, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. It's Kind of a Strange thing to include. We'll hit on that a little bit later. But Jesus' first command is have the people sit down. And this this is a hard pill to swallow. And I would imagine it's especially a hard pill to swallow and difficult for Berkeley students. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but your whole life up until this point has revolved around identifying problems and challenges and goals and accomplishing them. Like, that is what you do. That is why you're here at the number one public university in the world. That's what you do. That is what your identity is staked in. Like, you're a problem solver. But here's a goal that Jesus says you can't accomplish. Here's a problem that Jesus says that you can't fix because you don't have access to the food that Jesus has. You have Cliff Bars and Bobo. Okay, I, people don't even eat cliff bars anymore, right? Because they cause Republicanism. Is that why people don't eat cliff bars? <laughs> uh, can't Cameron can't, can't Cameron's from Alabama. Um, so whatever it is you guys eat, right? You have you have Cliff Bars and Bobo, but you don't have the bread of life. You don't have the food that Jesus has when he tells you to sit down. You can't feed yourself the meal that only Jesus prepares. You have got to sit down and you have to be served. You have to take a seat. So that leads us to our next point. Following Jesus starts with resting. Jesus' first command here is tell the people to have a seat. Take a seat. Get comfortable. It starts with resting, but then following Jesus looks like receiving. Receiving from Jesus. You know, I, I apologize if I've used, I called some folks on, on staff earlier because I, I have I told this story recently, but I don't know if it was in large group or not. If it was in large group, I apologize for repeating an illustration, but whatever. Um, one of the hardest things for me to do is to let someone serve me, uh, particularly when I feel like it tarnishes my image or my ability. I just got to feel like I'm always competent and able to do, you know, the things that I really love to do or that I want people to think that I'm good at. And um, as I said, I've told this story in some other contexts, hopefully, uh, but one of the greatest lessons I've learned in following Jesus was actually taught to me by a former student, by a guy named Taylor Gunn. Does this story ring a bell? Anybody? I know. Okay. So Taylor Gum, let me just Taylor Gum is not Jesus. He's not Christ. he is sinful and he needs the bread of life just like the rest of us. but a lot of you know Taylor, good dude, a lot of fun. And um, right after basically every large group, Taylor was here in my first years here and right after every large group, my hands would be full with these random things like screens and 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 uh, stands and all these various things because I'm trying. Uh, to just, you know, do all the work and just let students have fun or whatever. And Taylor, without fail, would always come up to me uh, and say, uh, and, and and try to like take things out of my hands. You know, let me get this or let me grab that. Or his hands would be full and I would try to take them from him. But anyways, he would try to take it out of my hand. I would say, no, 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 I got it. It's okay. And Taylor would always pull it away anyway. And he would say this to me, Chase, you need to let me serve you. You need to let me serve you. And he would do this every time, and it taught me a very obvious lesson, shocker, that I need help, and it's good to receive help. I need help from my friends, and I need help from my community, and it reinforced the ultimate point that I need help from Jesus. And so, friends, what it means to be followers of Jesus is not serving up to Jesus a hot meal of your best efforts, it means first and foremost that you are a recipient. You are always on the receiving end of Jesus' goodness and grace for your life. And get this, Jesus is always on the receiving end of our need. He takes our need and he gives us his fullness just like he does in this passage. Jesus takes five little barley loaves of bread and two fish, and he feeds over 5,000 people. Now it says 5,000 men, but there were more, there were women and children there as well. So you do the math. If even a quarter of them were married and even a quarter of them had children, there's thousands more people there. And here's the thing. Jesus takes these five little barley loaves of bread and these two fish and they eat their fill. of them. They have leftovers. I've said this before, and this is a common theme throughout the Gospel of John. There is always abundance in Jesus. You remember the vats that they filled up with wine at the wedding in Cana? They were overflowing. There's always abundance in Jesus. They had to gather up the leftovers here of what Jesus passed out. So not only are these followers, these disciples, not only are they all anxious about what to do and how to fix the problem and forgetful of Jesus' faithfulness in their lives in the recent past, now once again, after sitting down, after going back to the basics of what Jesus first told them to do after sitting down and resting, they are recipients of the abundance that only Jesus can provide. They're recipients. They're receiving. It is always our temptation when we come to Jesus or when we follow Jesus, just like these crowds here, right? It's always our temptation when we come to Jesus or when we follow Jesus to take the work into our own hands. And the reason why is because our faith is forgetful and fickle. Our faith is fickle, and we forget. But Jesus is steadfast. Jesus never changes. Jesus is always pursuing. And Jesus, as this series is called, Jesus is always moving toward you. He's always moving toward you with food that you cannot prepare for yourself, and he's always serving you, and you are always to be a recipient of his good food. You're to be receiving. How many of you see this in your own lives? I, I know that I see it in mine. How many times have you been in a predicament or a problem or overwhelmed with anxiety, and now, right now, as you look back on that moment, you see the hand of God at work in your life? I would imagine all of us have at least a few of those stories. We don't always know the outcome. We don't know what it'll be. We don't know how God will provide. But we do know this. As evidence of you being here right now, God always provides. Always. He always provides a feast of abundance. Because he doesn't just give you croutons. He gives you the bread of life. He gives you himself. And there's always enough of Jesus. There's never too much of Jesus. You cannot eat too much of Jesus. So we rest and we receive. His first command is to rest and then he takes bread and he feeds us. He takes note of our hunger and he feeds us. And then he leaves us with a challenge. And the challenge is to trust him. Rest, receive, and trust. Following Jesus looks like resting and receiving and trusting. The passage ends in kind of a weird way, does it not? I mean, after everything that Jesus has done, uh, the, the people see it, this kind of incredible miracle, and then their response is that they want to make him king. Right? They want to make him king. If I did that, if I did something, even just bread, you know, like this, like you would probably be like, Chase should be president of the United States. Like This is unbelievable. He can solve world hunger like that. Okay, but Jesus does something weird after this happens. What does he do? He, it, it, the text says that he withdrew. They wanted to make him king, and so he withdrew, and he went into the mountains by himself. And the question is, why did he do that? Why would Jesus do something like that? Because this is not, is this not like the very thing that Jesus wants them to acknowledge? He wants them to acknowledge, hey, I am king. I am king of the universe. I am king of the world. And here's the answer, okay? Here's why Jesus withdrew. This is why he went up into the mountains all alone. We will make Jesus king of our lives when he's doing things that we want him to do. But we will crucify Jesus the moment he does what he came to do. We will make Jesus king of our lives when he's doing the things that we want him to do. But we will crucify him the moment that he begins to do what he actually came to do. This is true of the people that Jesus is talking to, and it's true of the people in this room. It's true of us. So you see, in some ways, we're, we're all the way back to square one here in this text. There was a problem at the beginning. People were hungry. There's a lot of people, and people were hungry. And so the followers of Jesus, they tried to fix it. But there was no luck. It was too overwhelming for them. They, they realized pretty immediately there's nothing that we can do about this. And now, you know, Jesus performs this miracle, and now we're kind of sandwiched between this miracle. Now they see an even greater problem after seeing what he can do with their hunger. And they they see this greater problem that Jesus can fix not just their hunger, but all of their material and social and political and judicial needs. Every need that they possibly have can be met if this dude takes over Rome. And so they've got to make him king So that their lives can be easier. They want to make him king so that they can do the things, they can fix the problems that they identified. In other words, they're taking Jesus and he's now become this tool that they're using to fix the problems of their lives. But here's what Jesus is saying I didn't come to make your life easier. I didn't come to make your life easier. And as long as Jesus is only the king of our exams so that we can get A's, as long as Jesus is only the king of our careers so that we can get the job that we've always wanted and we tried so hard at Berkeley to get, or as long as Jesus is only the king of your mental health so that you can be as happy as Ted Lasso or whoever it is that you want to be as happy as, As long as you only want Jesus as King here and there in your life and not everywhere, this is what Jesus is saying. I will retreat to teach us to trust Him with all of life. He will withdraw to teach us to trust Him with all of life. To trust Him, no matter the outcome, no matter the trial. No matter the hunger, here's a big one, no matter the sin, no matter the failure in your life, no matter the anxiety, no matter the suffering that you are enduring, Jesus is calling you not to take things into your own hands, but to trust him. That's what following Jesus looks like. He's calling us to trust him because he's the only one that's worthy of our trust. I'm calling this sermon, uh, The Feast That Dwelt Among Us. There's a couple of titles that I was going back and forth between, but I decided for The Feast That Dwelt Among Us. Um, And here's why. Because isn't this what we do at at a proper feast? We rest and we receive and we trust. Think about that in relationship to following Jesus. I mean, this is what we do at a proper feast. We rest. We sit down at a table. We sit down at a table and we socialize with our friends. We enjoy the chatter and the life around the table. So much life happens around a table because we're resting and we're enjoying At a feast, we receive. We receive a meal that nothing else compares to. Now, I realize that all of you are on a college budget, so maybe not many of you have had great meals yet in your life. I'm sure meals back home are really good. But once you get a little bit of money and you start eating at some really good restaurants... Food is an incredible evidence of the goodness and existence of God. I'll just say that. Like, you receive this meal and nothing else compares to it. The the meat falls off the bone. It melts in your mouth. It fills you up to the brim. So we rest and we receive, and then at a feast we trust. Now, how do we trust at a feast? When we sit down at a feast, we, we, we trust that this is exactly where we need to be and this meal is exactly what will fill us up. When you eat good food and you know you're about to have good food, that you have this sense of trust. I am trusting in this, these mashed potatoes and gravy. Am I right? Fried okra, sliced heirloom tomatoes with a little salt, mm, fried chicken. Like you, you trust. You put your trust in this meal. You don't sit down for a meal at French Laundry or Chez or Stuffed In. (laughs) We all love Stuffed In. And then think to yourself, while you're eating at French Laundry, if you don't know what that is, it's like $2,000 a plate up in Napa somewhere. Um, You don't sit down in a meal like that and then think, man, I should go to Taco Bell after this. You don't do that. And the reason why is because you placed your trust in this meal. You just know. It's instinctive. Like, this is good food and Taco Bell kills, right? So when we follow Jesus, we rest in the feast that he's prepared. When we follow Jesus, we receive the meal that only he can serve. And when we follow Jesus, we trust that nowhere else can life like this, can a meal like this be found. We rest, we receive, and we trust. As we end, I want us to look back briefly here because um, Jesus seems to be doing something that's awfully familiar. And I don't exactly know how to tie all these points together, but I hope that if you are thinking about following Jesus or if you are following Jesus, that this will be such a tight, beautiful bow on what I'm trying to say that following Jesus means that he's just fully in control. You can trust like he's going to tell you to have a seat and welcome that. He is going to serve you. And he is always going to lead you in such a way where you are forced to trust him. He's just in control of this. And so as I read this passage, there's something really familiar that's going on here. And the biggest clue that gives it away is actually back in verse 10 what I mentioned earlier. So second part of verse 10 and it says There was much grass in this place. There's a lot of grass there. Now, this is a really odd detail to include. But I want you to think about this. Jesus is calling you to rest in him. Jesus is calling you to receive him. And Jesus is calling you to trust in him for all of life. And the picture that John paints here, to get this point across to us, the picture that he paints is that of sheep in a field following their good shepherd who supplies their every need, their every need, their every need. And you know how we know that? Grass. This is an arid climate. There's not a lot of grass around But when you're near Jesus, he's providing for things that you aren't even thinking about at times, including grass for you to softly sit down on. Grass beneath their feet in an environment where grass is hard to find. It's a shepherd picture that he's painting. Shepherd and his sheep. And that picture is familiar to me. And I want to close by reading Psalm 23. And I want you to see if it's familiar to you. This is one of the most well-known psalms in the entire Bible. I want you to listen to this, and then we're going to pray. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are a shepherd who leads us beside still waters. And you make us lie down in green pastures. There's no qualification on those verses. There's no kind of fix the problem and then you will give us rest. There's no once you start following me, then you've got to work. From the beginning and the middle and the end, you are always our good shepherd tending to your sheep. You're feeding us and giving us rest. We're always receiving from you because you are serving us eternal life every day, interceding for us on our behalf. And you are always calling us to trust in you and leading us, even through your movements, to trust in you more, even as we attempt to make you king in ways that you weren't meant to be king. Jesus, would you help us now to submit our whole lives to you so that you can be king of our entire lives and that we would then sit around a feast that a king has prepared for us.